you can never start with technology. You start with culture. And in every organization that I've worked for, the first thing I've done is to understand what is the business strategy? What does this company or organization really want to achieve? Like RMIT was very different to commercial organizations that I worked for before because it's a non-for-profit organization and uh, people at RMIT genuinely care about students, about the quality of education and less care about, you know, reducing costs and all these things that are large sort of commercial companies are worried about. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Data Futurology. In this podcast, we cover the challenges and the topics that leaders in machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence are wrestling with. And we bring you different approaches from leaders in the area from around the world. Before we jump into today's topic, I have to say thanks to our sponsor. So we've got Talent Insights here who have been supporting us for quite a while and allow us to bring you this content uh, to the community for free, which is great. Um, we got quite a few uh, people joining today. Uh, one message from Elena saying hello from the sunny uh, for now, side of Monash. Um, welcome, welcome. So today's very special guest is Nona Milmeister. She is the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at RMIT University. Um, Nona has an amazing career. She has been a pioneer in data management and information quality. And obviously now as a Chief Analytics Officer is doing tremendous and super exciting work at the university, which we're going to be hearing all about. So Nona, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you very much, Felipe. Thank you for having me on the show. Wow, I'm very excited um, to have you on the show. So I thought we could kick off by asking you if you can tell us a bit about your, your role at the university and uh, the, the remit. You have quite a, quite a broad um, series of responsibilities. So if you can walk us through the different areas, um, that would be really a um, good place to start, please. Okay. Uh, so I'm the first chief and uh, data and analytics officer at RMIT University. Um, and so uh, I think I probably shaped my role over the last two years to be what it is now. Uh, I am responsible for uh, data and analytics and for data governance. Um, and uh, my key responsibility is to develop and implement data and analytics strategy at university. Uh, that, however, doesn't mean that I'm responsible for fixing all of the data quality issues. As I keep telling my stakeholders, that's not my job, that's their job. Mm -hmm. uh, but I definitely will help by setting uh, up the right governance structures, the right accountabilities, uh, and clear the way to, for us to do really great things with analytics as well. That's incredible. And, and what an opportunity to 
um, to be the first chief data and analytics officer at, at um, such a such a big organization and get to shape um, not only the role but uh, the the strategy for for the organization as a whole. Um, that's super super interesting. Um, so before we jump into the 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 work that you've been doing there for the past few years. Could you tell us a little bit about your your background and how you got to that role uh, throughout your career? Uh, with pleasure. Uh, I am. Uh, uh, I was born in Moscow, Russia, and I got my first degree in engineering in Russia. So it can just tell you that engineers can do anything they put their mind to. Um, I love it. And uh, when I uh, migrated to uh, Australia, um, there was there were no engineering jobs, definitely, because it mm. was in the middle of the recession in 1991. <laughs> um, so without references, I had uh, no, cho- no choice but um, uh, to do some more study. Um, and I've applied to three different universities and thought, well, if I'll be accepted into one, uh, I'll just do that. Uh, and I was accepted to all three. Then it was a big choice uh, to do computer science or to do master's uh, of engineering or to do project management. And I thought that project management probably suits me more. And so uh, I've done master's degree in project management from RMIT. And that give me, uh, gave me an absolute ticket um, you know, to life and to, to my career. I started working as a consultant um, in a part of the organization that um, for the first time started thinking about data. Uh, and very quickly I realized that I'm more interested in data than I am in managing data projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it's an interesting story. Um, the company engaged a very large consulting company paid a lot of money um, to get them to uh, define methodology for how they estimate the cost of poor data quality. Mm-hmm. The company came up with 250 pages report that they presented to our team and our general manager. And after the meeting, uh, I had a feeling that no one was any wiser, wiser on how to actually do it. And yeah. no one was in a position to read the 250 pages mm-hmm. report. So uh, I worked, uh, I talked to a few people, uh, worked uh, very long hours when my kids went to sleep uh, for about a week. And I come up with a six uh, page methodology mm-hmm. uh, that was quite easy to understand. Uh, and that was the first time I was promoted. I got a team and we started really looking at the data quality and how we can estimate the cost of it. Uh, and from that, uh, I mean, I, uh, I established a data quality consulting um, practice at uh, my company. Um, and then I joined one of the big telcos, um, built the data management center of excellence there, um, and uh, uh, then ended up uh, leading an IT, a uh, large part of IT, uh, managing all the activation and billing systems. And then I thought, well, I can do that, but I'm still more interested and more passionate about data than about software development. And so I left, uh, joined the um, uh, insurance company, uh, you know, built the data strategy there. Uh, and then RMIT had hunted me. And I thought, 
this is just perfect. Uh, I have to give back uh, what uh, RMIT gave me. Um, I'm very happy to work for RMIT. It's, it's an amazing institution with really rich history. It was established um, on the 7th of June. The reason I remember it is because it's my birthday. Nice. In 1887, uh, as a, a working man college. Um, and the motto at that time of the university, it wasn't the university then, uh, was um, skilled hand uh, and cultivated mind. And we still use this motto because I think it really wow. resonates with people. Uh, so yes, very happy to work for RMIT and very happy to share my experience with you as well. No, that's that's incredible. Um, what yeah, what an what amazing career. And um, I love that uh, you've throughout your career you've been proactive and, and willing to go the extra mile and and it shows um what the, the payoff of of that extra effort um as as you were saying like simplifying and clarifying something so important is that equality for the business led to your first promotion and um that looks like to be a a pattern that you've taken throughout your career um and that's yeah that's incredible i also love the fact that you keep coming coming back to what you love and, and kind of like staying true to yourself on that side. That's really, really interesting too. Um, so with, with, well, with all that experience, you've definitely had um, uh, a lot of opportunities to define or develop a data strategy for, for organizations um, um, across different industries too. Could you tell us about your, your approach to, to data strategy and, and how, you, how you think about it uh, from, from your perspective? Yes. Um, I think over the years I've attended a lot of conferences um, where uh, the strategy for data was always based on technology. Mm. Or, you know, like buy this tool and it will solve all your problems or implement that platform and our platform is better than everyone else's platform. Uh, and maybe it is, uh, but you can never start with technology. You start with culture. And in every organization that I've worked for, the first thing I've done is to understand what is the business strategy? What's this company or organization really wants to achieve? Like RMIT was very different to commercial organizations that I worked for before because it's a non-for-profit organization and uh, people at RMIT genuinely care about students, about the quality of education and less care about, you know, reducing costs and all of these things that uh, large sort of commercial companies are uh, worried about. So with that in mind and um, with an understanding of what we need to achieve and how we need to mature uh, our data and analytics uh, within every organization, you really need to look at what is the culture? What's the, do we need to educate staff? Uh, do we need to introduce data literacy? Uh, for, for us, for RMIT, for example, one of the biggest um, uh, initiative was uh, in, 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 in that cultural space, to build the data culture, to, um, data literacy modules, for our uh, data analytics staff, but also for wider university. Make sure they understand what data governance is, what their role is, what the roles of other people within the organization. But also 
we work, we, we have a unique opportunity because we work with academics who might be specialists in, mm. uh, in an area of data or analytics, could be, uh, you know, text recognition or text analysis or something else. And we need to bring them um, on a journey with us and make them to, to sort of work with us to solve university problems as well. So that's sort of the on a cultural side. But then before you implement any technology, you need to build capability within a team. That's really important too. Um, how this team needs to be structured, uh, what are the key, key skills that are required, uh, how do we mix them together, how we make that team successful, how do we train the team, how do we create a really good atmosphere within a team, how do we work with the rest of uh, the company. So that bit is really important as well. And of course, in any data governance, um, uh, in, in any data strategy, data governance is very mm -hmm. important. It needs to be a focus, uh, you know, because uh, we need to manage data risks and we need to manage them effectively. Um, we need to bring all the university on the journey. Um, and so data governance is definitely one of the areas that we usually uh, work uh, to, you know, to implement in any data strategy within organization. That's that's fantastic. And and tell me, um, what is what is your um, your perspectives or your views on on how to do data governance effectively? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, and I think the the short answer is data governance is not something that chief data officer does. Data mm. governance is something that is done by everyone uh, in the organization. And I think. What's the most important thing there is to make sure that everyone understands what their accountabilities are. So you're not just uh, um, create a good data governance policy. Um, you create this sort of very clear set of accountabilities. In our case, uh, we have a concept of um, data stewards network uh, mm -hmm. that uh, make sure that when we talk about definitions, we talk about business definitions from every angle within the organization so that when we agree to it, everyone can sign off that this is the right definition. And we usually start with that. Uh, last year was uh, really, we were really focused on, on business definitions. Um, and it's our data trustees that sign off on the data definitions, but only mm -hmm. after they've been discussed between uh, data stewards and agreed that this is the right one. Um, I think last year I had probably the best compliment I ever had in my entire career because um, someone said, I've created a buzz. That's, that's what data governance is all about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when people start talking about definitions, when people mm. start talking about how we structure our data within the organization, uh, when people understand that they are responsible for how they handle data, if they mm. um, you know, input data into the system, they're responsible for that quality. Um, if they migrate data from one system to another, they are responsible to make sure that they don't do anything uh, to jeopardize that quality as well. Mm. But it's not only about accountability, it's about frameworks and standards as well. So 
um, we've done a lot of work on setting up these fundamentals. What is our uh, data quality framework? What is our, our data ethics framework, which mm -hmm. is really important, especially for analytics as well? Um, you know, uh, what is our uh, master data management standard? Uh, we've done a lot of work. Like we, we think about um, data lifecycle and how you manage that effectively. Um, so uh, I think to me, that's probably very important. The other thing is that is very important is the concept of data trustees. It's our yes. data trustees that uh, have accountability um, for the specific data domains. And we've been very careful to define what exactly does that mean? Uh, in a lot of companies, it's based on system by system. Mm -hmm. So if you're a system owner, you are responsible for the data within that system. That doesn't work. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I saw the examples of how it doesn't work in, in many different places. So in our case at RMIT, we developed the a conceptual data model that is independent on systems, but it's clearly defined what are the key fundamental data blocks that we need to manage carefully to make our MIT successful. And our data trustees are responsible for these data blocks. Uh, and they're responsible for, for everything within it. Uh, the right data definitions, uh, data quality, they're responsible for uh, certifying reports based on uh, do we know where the data come from? Uh, is it a good quality? Is, does it have the right definitions? All of this kind of stuff. And I thought that people will um, sort of say, no, you know, that's not really our role. But people are actually quite happy to have that because they're sick of not knowing who to turn to or um, who will bid on their behalf um, mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, I think um, we've done quite a lot of work in this area and um, uh, people appreciate that. That's that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm so glad that you went into this. I, it was an area that I, I was very, very keen to ask you more about. Um, so it, uh, interesting, I want to ask you more about the... Um, the the creation of the data blocks from from uh, a conceptual data perspective. What what would be some examples of of the areas that the data trustees are are responsible for? Oh, like for example, um, it is sort of historically um, uh, historical that in every university, um, it's academic register that is responsible for students' management, mm -hmm. right? But in reality, mm. student might be a staff member. He might work mm. part time as a as a staff uh, member. He can be a researcher, right? Yep. Uh, or he can have other different roles. So, is it uh, academic register that um, is responsible for managing a person rather than a student, mm. uh, or is it somebody else? Uh, and it's these discussions with the senior leadership team. Uh, that really helped us to identify, well, who is responsible for, for, the, for that um, uh, person with all of its roles? Hmm. Because as soon as you do that, it cuts through uh, multiple decision-making channels. It speeds up decision-making. Uh, it makes it clear uh, 
who is responsible for uh, implementing initiatives and stuff like that. So that's extremely important. That is fantastic um, because that's that's the that's the expectation of um, of people, I guess, to be seen as as one person, not not as a series of roles that are. Um, that's right. You know, treated or or accountable to different parts of the organization that may not may not um, align or or work cohesively. Um, so I think that that is a, a fantastic. Um, change to to bring in um that is that is that is great and could you tell us more about the the difference between the data owners and the data trustees and and the separation of roles and and what type of people perform each role i i'm a big fan and for uh of larry english i don't know if you guys have heard um of this person uh he unfortunately passed away now, but he was called the uh, father of data quality. And he told me that there is no such thing as data owners. And I really subscribe to it. Uh, you don't own your piece of data or your data domain. Mm -hmm. You only uh, manage it on behalf of the whole company. Because otherwise it creates this sort of silo environment um, that we really want to discourage. We want people to work with each other. And so in our, in our case, um, data trustees are the people within every part of the organization uh, at the working level uh, that um, are responsible for, uh, you know, defining data, for doing all of this great work uh, classifying uh, information, managing data lifecycle, managing retention, um, all of this kind of stuff. Uh, once they agree on what, you know, what they need to do, then they go to their leadership uh, team and we define data trustees across every um, part of the organization. And then they approve um, whatever needs to be approved on behalf of uh, data stewards. So data trustees are at that executive level. Mm -hmm. Most of them are um, part of our information governance board that is uh, a sort of a single uh, decision-making body. Um, and uh, I think where I believe we really did um, very well is uh, we made our information governance board a subcommittee of mm -hmm. the highest um, sort of level of uh, executive. In our case, it's vice chancellor executive. Wow. And so anything that we approve is also uh, visible to that highest level of executive leadership as well. Yeah, incredible. That is really, really great. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. 
thanks again and see you next time.